Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, hey, Liverpool One Church. It is so good to have you in the house today. Go ahead, take your seats. Whether you're in the room, whether you're watching online, I'm so glad that you're joining in with church today. I don't know if you're here accidentally. I don't know if you're incidentally. But what I do know is this, that you are most welcome and you are surrounded by people who are here intentionally. Because we prioritise a Sunday and we say that Sunday is the first day of our week, not the last day of our week. And we gather in the house of God together because it helps set us up strong for the week that is to come. So I'm super glad that you're here. But before I get into today's message, and we're continuing in this series called Stumbling Into Place. Before we get into today's message, I'm just going to take a moment and pray with you. Because I don't want to give out information today. I want you to experience impartation. I don't want you to hear my fumbling of my words. I want you to be impacted by the Word of God. Because God speaks. And His Scriptures and His Word, it's as relevant today in your life as it was 2,000 years ago when it was first written. So if I may just take a moment before we start. And Heavenly Father, we just give this next few moments over to You, Lord God. I pray that You help me to articulate this in a way that You spoke it to me. God, that that people would not hear my words, but they would hear the gentle nudge of Your Holy Spirit. That we would leave this place today being transformed, equipped, in you in a way that perhaps we weren't when we first arrived. God, have your way in this meeting today. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. Well, I don't know what it was been like in your household, family, life. We used to play board games a lot when our kids were smaller. And um, one of the games that we would play was the game of life. I don't know if you've ever played the game of life, but the game of life simulates a person's travel through life. It starts around young adulthood and it takes you right through to retirement. In the game of life, it includes going to college or university, who you will date and who you will marry. You even get to choose the kids that you have. Wouldn't that be great? Choose the kids that you have and the pets that you have. And all of this is included in the game of life. Players imagine the life that they want to live and then they choose a path to travel down, hoping that the path that they are on will bring about the choices that they have made. And depending on which path you choose, you either become rich and you succeed or you retire poor and broke. How many know that real life is not a lot different to the game of life, only it is not game? We all have a desired way that we would like our lives to map out. 
We all imagine, particularly as young adults, what our future is going to look like. But as you start on the path of life, how many know that though you can make your choices, you cannot determine the outcome? You can make your choices, but you can't determine the outcome. And sometimes we get on the gram and we're scrolling through everybody else's path of life and thinking, why didn't I choose to go down that path? Like, why didn't I choose that job? Why didn't I go to that university? Why didn't I marry him? How come I got him and not him? It's like the choices that you've made in your life so far have brought you to where you are today. The university you chose to go to hooked you up with the set of friends that you have and the people that you now know. The career that you chose and your death was next to hers and you started dating and then you ended up marrying her. And so life goes on and the way you've looked after or neglected your body, it's brought you to where you are today, the way you've saved or spent your finances. All of the choices you have made has brought you where you are today. But whichever path of life you choose to go down, it's always a gamble between what you want to see and what might be. What is clear to me is that the um, creators of this game of life did not have to look far for their inspiration or stretch their imagination. For the game of life literally mimics real life, even to the point when it's all over, it goes in a box. Amen. And so in any game, if you want to win, you have to play by the rules. Now, I don't know what your family are like, but we have had boards upturned we have had things thrown, we have had tears and tantrums and people walking out because nobody ever wins by cheating. Though it may look like they have temporary success, nobody really ever wins by cheating. If you want to win at the game, then you need to play by the rules. And if you don't know what the rules are, then you need to refer to the rule manual that comes with the game. That will tell you how to play fair. That will tell you this is a smart move. That will tell you this will get you to your desired destination. This will tell you if you want to succeed at this game, play in this way. And you know where I'm going with this because you've all heard me say this so many times from the platform. But real life has an instruction manual to go alongside it as well. It is spelt B-I-B-L-E. And if you want to succeed in life, and if you want to achieve the desires of your heart, then you need to play by what the manual says. It is the way that's going to help get you to the destination that you desire. Ephesians 2 puts it like this. Even before you were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works that you would do to fulfill it. Like, just think about that for a moment. Like before you were born, God had a plan for you. I don't know if you know this or not, but there is not a conveyor belt system in heaven flipping out human beings. It's like 
God has made you unique. You are not a replica of anybody. He doesn't run out of ideas every thousand years. So if you think you are Abraham reincarnated, you are not. God has made you unique. You are one of a kind. Even if you are an identical twin, your fingerprint and your footprint is unique to you. So when it says that even before you were born, God planned in advance what he was going to do with you. It means he has a blueprint for your life. You were an idea, you were a plan first, and then he wrapped flesh around his plan and brought it onto the earth for such a time as this. And along your life's way, he has placed desires in you, things for you to desire upon. And all of those things are part of your pl- his plan at working in your life. I mean, think about that. It wouldn't do if we all desired the same thing. That's why some of us want to be in the medicine field and some of us want to be in the financial field and others want to be builders. I mean, imagine if we all desired the same wife or the same husband So God's put individual desires within you. It's kind of like a builder. Before a builder constructs a building, the architect has to draw out the plans. And then what happens is the builder builds according to the plan. God had a plan for you first and then he brought you into being. He constructed you in human form around the plan that he already had. But the mistake that we make in thinking, particularly if you are a Christ follower in here today, we often make the mistake of thinking that because God has a plan for my life, that plan is automatically going to outwork in my life. And it is not. God's plan does not happen by chance. It happens by choice. It happens by your choice. And the choices that you make in your lifetime will determine whether you live out God's intended plan for your life or whether you live life just hoping that it will work out for you. And the reason that God made a plan for your life is because He knows you better than you know yourself because He designed you and He wired you and He put desires within you. Throughout your life, you are going to desire different things. And so he has the plan and he knows the plan to get those desires out of you and get them into, uh, into being. Jeremiah 29, 11 puts it like this. Jeremiah was a prophet and God spoke to the prophet. And he said to Jeremiah, I want you to give the people a message. Tell the people, I know the plans that I have for them. He said, tell them that their plans of good and not of evil, plans to to prosper them and not to harm them, plans to give them a hope, plans to give them a future. Now, this is a well-known scripture. We quote it at weddings. We quote it at the birth of children. We have it on placards around our homes. It is a well-known scripture. One that a lot of us will know off by heart. The only problem is sometimes we overlook and we miss one of the most important and key things to this verse. God said to Jeremiah, tell the people, I know 
the plans that I have for them. He never said they will know the plans that I have for them. God said, for I know the plans that I have for you. It is not written that you know the plans that he has for you. So if God knows what the plans are for your life, it tells me that perhaps there are some things that God is intentional on not letting you in on. And no matter how hard you pray, and I get this asked a lot by a lot of people, what's, what, what do you think God's plan is for my life? What is God's plan for my life? But God never said that you would know the plans that he has for your life. Because God intentionally doesn't allow you in on some things. And the reason that God does not intentionally allow you in on some things is because you're not God. You're not God. And only God is meant to know everything. That means that if we are to live out God's preferred future for our lives, then we're going to have to do this thing called trust Him. Because if he knows the plan for my life and I don't know the plan for my life, then I'm going to have to trust him. But in order for me to trust him, I'm going to have to let go of something that if I'm honest, I'd rather keep hold of. And that something is control. Now, don't look at me like that because if you were having an honest moment, there's a bit of a control freak in every single one of us. You don't have to be the loud, bossy one in the room. You can be quiet and introvert and still have that chink of control within you. You are only at peace. You are only confident when you know how it's going to be, when you know how it's going to work out, when you know where everybody is, when you know who's doing the thing, when you know how the thing operates and it runs. You are only ever at ease when you know but the problem is you can't be in control and trust at the same time. You see, when you are a control freak, you have trust issues because you don't trust anybody else can do it as well as you. You don't think they can do it as well as you, so you do it yourself. You don't trust that they will get the job done, so you do the thing. You know, my, my husband, when we, he says he's not a control freak, but whenever we're in the car together, whenever we're in the car together, he insists he drives. And I'm like, well, I'm a really competent driver. I get myself up and down the country, no problem at all. But he insists he drives. And on the rare occasion that I might be in the car driving behind the wheel, he says, stop, stop, slow, 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 slow. Oh, turn, turn, turn left. Oh, you need to brake, you need to brake. But he says, it's not a control freak. There's something in all of us that likes to have an element of control. But the problem with control is it's really deceptive. And it is deceptive because though you think you are in control, there's not an area of your life that you are ever 100% fully in control in. You see, you can choose how carefully you drive on the road, but you can't control how carefully everybody else drives upon the road. You can control whether you put the offer in for the property, but you can't control whether or not that offer is accepted. You can control how well you present yourself at the interview, but you can't control whether you get the job or not. You can control the choices your children make when they are small, but you can't control the type of adult they become. 
So even when you think you're in control, it is at best deception because only God is ever 100% fully in control. Why? Because He's the author and creator of all things. That is why everything under the sun has to bow to the name of Jesus. All of creation, the sea and the sky and the fish and the birds of the air, man and mammals have to bow to the name of Jesus because only God is fully in control. Only God can speak to the sea and the waters will split open. Only God can speak to the storm and make it stop. Only God can speak to the sun and cause it to stand still. Only God can speak to oil and keep it flowing. Only God can speak to fish and keep them multiplying. Why? Because only God is fully in control. And so often... Our anxieties, our burnouts, and our breakdowns, and our stress, and our struggle comes because we're trying to carry a weight of control that we were never created to carry. I want to show you a picture. This is a bike. The bike is not designed to carry the load that's been placed on it. Therefore, it's upended. There are some of you who are wondering why your life is upended. There are some of you wondering why you feel ground to a halt. You can't seem to progress forward. And the reason is you are carrying a weight that was never intended for you to carry. And quite often that weight is control. It's the need and the urgency to know everything that everyone in your sphere of influence is doing. You can influence, but you cannot control You can decide how you want it to be, but you can't determine the outcome. You can teach a student a lesson, but you can't make them learn. You can give, say you're sorry, but you can't make someone accept your apology. You can tell the truth, but you can't make someone believe you. So you are never fully in control. The only thing that you control is your choice. So you have to do what you know to do. You can control your choice, but you cannot put expectations on the outcome because you don't know everything because you're not God. So though you think you're in control, more often than not, you're like a toddler that is walking down the high street and the toddler thinks they're walking freely and what they are unaware of is there is a parent holding onto the hood of their jacket and why has the parent got hold of the hood of their jacket because they do not have the wisdom or the foresight to understand the road or the dangers of it and if they veer to the left or the right there's going to be a pull a tug on that jacket You know, I think in part, this is why God said, I've made plans for you and not you know the plans. Because God is saying to us, I want you to go freely through your life. You don't have to worry about what my plans are for you, but you do have to be aware when I'm going to give you a tug on that jacket. And by the way, that feels like a conviction in your spirit. It's that something that just doesn't feel quite right. 
It's when I make a decision and it's not in line with what God wants for my life. And it feels like that, you know, that I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Like I've been invited to a here and something in your spirit says, it's not wise for you to go there. Don't make that move. Why? Because God can see hidden dangers ahead that you cannot see. And he's not going to let you walk blind. He's going to give you that unction. He's going to give you that little bit of a tug. He's going to say that's not the direction for your life. We have to be obedient to that unction. I know many of you know the story of when we first planted this church and, um, you know, how it all started really was Luke and I were out in Australia and we had been asked by a very large church over there if we would go pick up our family and move out there, spend five or six years out there and help a smaller church that was really struggling to get going. And something just lit up on the inside of us. Like we were so excited, like We'd never dreamt about doing a church. It wasn't a hidden dream that we had. We'd never thought about it. But all of a sudden, something came alive on the inside of us. And so we came back home to the UK. We put our house on the market. We sat the children down. Solomon was just a baby in arms. And we told Joash and Isaac, we're we're going to Australia for a couple of years. And this is what it's going to look like. And we told our family and we began to look for property over there. We got excited. But as the process started, something in me just did not feel quite right. And I remember sitting down with Luke and saying, I don't know what this is, but something just doesn't feel quite right. And he said, I'm so glad you've said that, Emma. He said, because I absolutely think that we are supposed to be planting a church, but I think Australia is a wrong step for us. And you know what? On paper, it was just so glamorous. I mean, why would I want to be doing church out by the Indian Ocean when I can be doing it by the Mersey? I mean, it's a no-brainer. But On paper, it looks so glamorous. I was going to give my children the best quality of life. They'd be able to drop their school bags, pick up their surfboards and take off. It was going to be amazing. But let me tell you, no matter how good it looks, no matter how hot she is, no matter how fit he is, if God's not in it, you don't want it. You've got to be aware of that for yourself, that unction of the Holy Spirit. And so we knew that church was part of God's plan for our life. But let me tell you how Proverbs puts it. It says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. So it's good to make plans in your life, but you've just got to go ahead making your plans with an awareness. Is this what God wants me to be involved in? Or is it not? I love the way my friend Laurie Champion puts it. She says, Emma, God orders my steps and he orders my stops. And I thought that's brilliant. Because yeah, sometimes he just lets me keep walking and I think, okay, well, I'm going to keep making plans and I'm keep going. But there are times when he orders my stops as well. The very reason that God said to Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you and not you know the plans was because God knew we couldn't bear the weight of responsibility. He designed you. You know, the designer of a chair knows 
right, it can take up to this much weight. Like a designer knows the weight that a thing can bear. When I was a child and I would go on holiday with my parents, I would just jump in the car and I would be ecstatic. We were going on holiday and the only responsibility I had was to choose whatever toy I was taking with me. And I would just get in that car, go on the holiday and enjoy the destination. But when I became an adult and when I became a parent, all of a sudden I'm having to book flights, navigate hotels, make sure the finances are in order. Is everybody's passport up to date? Packing for five of us, sorting the food out, sorting this out. And it's a massive responsibility. There is a reason why you are called a child of God and not an adult of God. It is because there are just some things that God is not going to let you in on because he said, you've just got to trust me. Don't be trying to figure it all out. Just trust me. When you get on a plane to go on holiday, you're packed and prepared. But the minute you get on that plane, you take your shoes off, you get your magazine, you order a little drink and you just relax. Because you trust now that the pilot is going to do his job and get you there safely. Why? Because you haven't mastered the cockpit. So it's not your responsibility to stress about how that thing, you don't know the first thing about that plane. You don't know what to push or pull to get that thing in the air. You don't know at what speed it needs to be going on the ground in order to take flight. You don't know what to do in an emergency. Why? Because you are not meant to know. You are meant to trust. Trust. So you sit in your seat and you trust. So when God says, I have a plan for your life, stop trying to figure the plan out. Just trust Him. Just keep loving Him. Just keep reading His Word. Just let Him begin to direct your steps. One of the most familiar passages in the Bible is Psalm 23, and it is written by King David. And I'm going to read this psalm to you, and then I'm going to help you to see something in this psalm that maybe you've not seen before. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he refreshes, renews and restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk in the dark, through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Another really familiar scripture. This passage is written by David at a season in his life when he is reflecting back on his life. David makes this declaration, the Lord is my shepherd. It's as though he's seeing God differently for the first time. It's as though he's saying, "Hmm, I see God as more than just my saviour. I see him as my shepherd. I see him as more than one who just saves my life. I see him as one who leads my life. 
I, I see him as one who, more than one who just cleans up my past. He orders my steps for my future. Oh, I, I see he's more than one who handles my mistakes. He guides the way that I should go. I see him more than just my healer. He is my protector. And David starts to think upon God in a different way. You see, David wrote this psalm from a place of maturity. It is said about David that he wrote Psalm 23 after he'd become king of Israel. So if you can imagine the scene, he's older and he's wiser. He's sitting in his kingdom, living a life that he should not have been living. He's probably looking around thinking, wow, when did all this happen? And he's having this time of reflecting. He's remembering his teenage years when he was just a shepherd's boy in his father's field. And all of a sudden, it's like he has this light on revelation moment when he goes, huh, the Lord is my shepherd. Like I was for those sheep. That's exactly how God has been in my life. I protected those sheep and I can see now that my God protected me. I led those sheep to safe pastures. Oh, I can see how God has led me through my life. Like those sheep didn't know how to make a decision, but I, the shepherd, guided them. I can see how God has guided me through my life. Left to their own devices, the sheep would have got lost. I know without God, my life would be lost. And it's all starting to play out in David's head. He's saying left to their own devices, those sheep would have been devoured by the lion and the bear that were hiding in the bush. But I could see what they could not see. And I defended them and I fought for them because I am their shepherd and those sheep come under my protection. Wow, God has fought for me. He's defended me. He's protected me because I am his sheep and he is my shepherd. Wow, I need to do with God exactly what those sheep did with me and trust the shepherd. And he wrote, the Lord is my shepherd because the Lord knows best for me and the Lord knows the right direction for me and the Lord can see what I cannot see. I need to trust in the Lord. David sits down in his kingdom. He's the ruler over a nation. He's got one of the world's largest armies under him. Fame and fortune are associated with his name. And it's as though he's having this moment where he says to himself, there is no logical explanation how I've ended up here. Like how does a mere shepherd boy end up as the king of Israel sitting on the throne? The only explanation that I can give is there has been one leading my life who had foresight over my life that I could not see and wisdom that I did not have. That's the only explanation I can think of is that God has led my life. And this is where I've ended up. No university degree could have got me here. No life savings could have got me here. 
No planning could have got me here. The Lord has been my shepherd. He's had a plan for my life. Even when I was overlooked and rejected, He had a plan attached to my life. See, I don't know if you know anything about the early life of David, but when David was a boy, there was a king on the throne of Israel. His name was Saul. And Saul displeased God. He disobeyed God and he displeased God and God dethroned him. God spoke to the prophet who was Samuel at the time because this is how Israel would select its kings. It was always select, a king was always selected by God through the prophet. And God spoke to the prophet Samuel and said, I'm displeased with Saul and I'm not going to allow him to continue being king. He said, get a flask of oil, go to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem and I want you to anoint one of Jesse's sons because he's going to be the next king of Israel. And so Samuel goes to Jesse's house and you can read about this in 1 Samuel and he goes to Jesse's house and the first boy that he sees is this really tall, handsome lad and, and, um, and Samuel looks at him and, and his name is Eliab and Samuel thinks to himself, wow, he must be the chosen one. He must be the one. He looks like a king. And um, this is naturally in the Bible, but this is what... Um, Bible scholars and historians tell us about the way that they would select kings back in Jewish culture. The priests or Samuel, he, he, the prophet, they would take a flask of oil. He would also take a, a ram's horn. It was hollow all the way through. And he would pour the oil in the ram's horn and the oil would go in the top and it would trickle out the bottom. And they'd place it over the head of the one who was to be anointed. And when the oil flowed down the head of the one that God had anointed, it symbolised and signified that this is the one God has set apart. This is the one that God has called. This is the one that God has selected. And it is suggested that when he was trying to pour the oil over Eliab's head, it would not run through the ram's horn. And so Jesse brought all of his sons out one by one. He lined them all up. And every time Samuel tried to anoint them, the oil wouldn't flow. Samuel said to Jesse, is this it? I'm sure I've got it right. I'm sure God said this house and one of your sons. Have you got any other sons? Jesse, this is me paraphrasing now. Jesse says, yeah, but not one you'd be interested in. He's kind of like the run to the litter. He's out in the field. He's a bit smelly. He's not kingly like at all. You don't want to look at him. Samuel said, bring him into the house because we will not continue without him. So they brought David into the house straight out of the smelly sheep field. David stood there. And Samuel pours the oil into the horn and the oil flowed down David's head, and down David's body. And Samuel said, this is the Lord's anointed. And in that moment, he was anointed to be king of Israel. This is what I want you to see. God has control over your life. And when he says, I know the plans that I have for you, it doesn't matter who gets in the lineup before you. It doesn't matter if you've been rejected or forgotten or put to one side or left aside, cast aside, spoken down to, not invited to the party, not in with the in gang. It doesn't matter if you're the loner and the only friend you have in the world is a sheep. 
It really does not matter. Because if God has a plan attached to your life, it doesn't matter who gets there before you, it is yours. No one, no one can take God's plan for your life. It doesn't matter who gets into the interview before you. It doesn't matter who has the idea before you. It doesn't matter who dates the girl before you. If she's to be for you, God is going to hold that plan until the right time for you to step into it. Whatever God has planned for you, He will hold for you. And immediately after Samuel anoints David, Samuel leaves. And David, with his greasy hair and all this oil dripping off him, goes straight back to the field. He's just been anointed as king, but he's back in a field. He's just been proclaimed leader of the nation, but the only following he's got is a few smelly sheep. But it was in that place that God was going to train him and teach him and give him the life lessons and skills that he needed, ready to step into the calling that God had designed and desired for his life. And I think the point that I'm trying to make is David did not go looking for the position in the palace, but at the right time, the position in the palace came looking for him. All David did was keep his eyes on God. All David did was follow God's Word with his life. He didn't like throw it out when it was like Monday to Friday, go and do my own thing, make my own plans, do my own decisions and pick it up on a Sunday. He wholeheartedly followed God. I just love on God. I just spend time with God. I just read God's Word. And God's plan for His life began to outwork in His life. And I want to encourage you today, whoever you are and however you find yourself to be here, God knows you. Your card is marked. He identified you before you were conceived in your mother's womb. You were a plan of His. You are intentional. And God has purpose for your life. He is just wanting you to keep loving Him, keep pursuing Him with all your heart, keep reading His Word, let His plan unfold in your life. Just trust the shepherd. Just trust the shepherd. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to compete for it. You don't have to worry about what they're doing or they're doing. There's a plan attached to your life. And one day you too are going to look back and go, how? How am I here? What happened? What changed? Oh, I let the Lord be my shepherd. And this is where He's brought me. Can we stand in here this morning, church? (laughs) You are never too old to begin to follow God's plan for your life. There is no one in here who has missed it you don't get to 40 50 60 plus and say oh well you know I've I've lived my life now the way that I wanted it and made all my choices and all my decisions and you know I'll never know no let me tell you now this is how our God works he works in quantum leaps 
You see, the, t- the world is subject to time and everything we do is placed out and marked out, mapped out in time. But let me tell you that God can do more in your life in a moment than it would take for you to achieve in the world, in the natural, in years. God can turn it around. He works in quantum leaps. He's just looking for the hearts. He's not looking at the outward appearance. See, God said to Samuel when he looked at Eliab, he said, man looks at the outward appearance. Man judges people. People judge people by what they can see, but I judge people by their heart. And God's looking at your heart today. And He's just wanting a heart that surrenders to Him and says, not my will, but yours. I choose to follow you. Lead me, God. May I be aware of the unctions of the Holy Spirit that tug on my jacket. May I know, God, when I'm walking in the right direction, may you order my steps and may you order my stops. I also want to say you're never too young to start following God's plan. I remember as a teenager being in a youth group full of teens and I remember some of the conversations that we would have when we were like 14, 15 years old. And I remember a lot of my friends, they would say things like, yeah, but you know the God stuff. Like I'm going to get into it when I'm 30 because I just want to do some stuff right now. I just want to live a bit, party a bit, just just play a bit. And, and I'll settle down into God in my 30s. Let me tell you this. You are never too young to outwork the purposes of God in your life. And it is the best life that He will ever give you. And no matter what you try and chase and what you try and pursue, it will never compete to the life that God can give to you. What happens when we have that kind of a mindset is we, we by the time we get to 30, we've got all sorts of carnage behind us. And God, you know, God, He forgives sins in a moment, right? But, but the havoc that we create, the consequences that we carry, they take years to outwork in our lives. So I encourage any young adult in here today, He's the best way. He's the best way. And the desires that you have in your heart, the career, the job, the the spouse, the lifestyle, let me tell you, He can do it. Live your life by the manual. He can do it. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Heavenly Father, I wanna thank You for the people gathered in this place today, for those who are watching online. I give thanks, Lord God, because no life is overlooked. No life is accidental. No life, God, regardless of its beginning, is unseen or unthought of by You. You are the Alpha, the Omega. You are the beginning and the end of everything, including us, God. You have attached purpose to every single life has a destiny. Every single life has a purpose attached to it. And I'm praying right now, God, that we will fall more and more in love with You, that our waking thought every morning will be, God, what can I do for You today? God, I love You. God, I want to journey with You on the school run and into the office. Lord God, I want to take You with me, that our last thought before we
we go to bed at night will be God. Thank You for this day. Keep me safe while I sleep, God. Be my protector. Be my covering. And God, each and every day we would allow the shepherd to lead us. God, I ask that we will be so aware of Your presence in our life, God, each and every day. And I ask this in the mighty Name of Jesus. And before we close in prayer, I'm going to pray for anybody that maybe wants to give your life to Jesus for the first time. Maybe this is just brand new and you did not even know that actually I could put my hands in the life of Jesus and He could guide my life and I don't have to stress and struggle and trying to figure this thing out on my own, but there is one who can lead me and one who can guide me. Or maybe you're that Christian in here today and you've always been Christian by name, but not by nature. That you've always turned up for church, but you don't really outwalk the following of Christ in your day to day, this is your opportunity also. And I'm gonna pray a prayer and I'm gonna say it super slow so that you can repeat it in your heart after me. Heavenly Father, I thank You that I find myself here today. Forgive me for trying to figure life out on my own and making all my own choices. I'm asking you, Jesus, to come and live in my heart. Set me on a new path. Set me on a life that is not a gamble. I trust in you. Help me to be a true follower of Christ. And may my life be forever changed. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ and all the church said, Amen and Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.